You're listening to The Mix on Civ Mix, hosted by Liz Benjamin and Joe Bonilla. Joe Bonilla, welcome, my friends, to another... Oh, <laughs> I think that's... Hello. By the way, as we sit here, it is 80 degrees. It's, it's hot in here, and it's hotter because, for some reason... Our HVAC in the office is not working, so it's even. Well, hotter. who need? I mean, you know, last week it was snowing. Yep. I, I just want to point out this is what we call upstate spring. Oh yeah, and it will with, soon be a hurricane next week. Right. Yeah. Right. But you know, it does bring challenges. Um, as we are recording this, the governor has said that beaches are going to open this weekend, uh, in part because the Jersey Shore is opening. I think that he did not want to be. Um, in a situation where New Yorkers were going to all throng to the shore because they were so desperate to get out to the beach. So we have got uh, beaches open in New York. And we also are on the first day of the unpause for five regions upstate. And uh, thus far, you know, things seem to be going okay. But the reality is that we won't know in, for a couple of weeks. And what's troubling is that other countries and other states that have already gone in this direction before us have seen an increase in COVID cases as a result. Well, that will be the inevitable situation, right? That as soon as we open up, you know, society and the economy and life as we all know it, and we're able to see each other, that the infection rate and the hospitalization rate, all these rates are going to go up. Now, the question is, how much will they go up? And I know that I saw a New York Times piece earlier about you know, different parts of Europe, you know, Sweden versus, of course, you know, Germany and France and all of that. So I think, you know, there's going to be certainly that examination and that hesitation and, and almost we're all going to be holding our breaths, you know, uh, in terms of what will happen these first few days. And I, I was talking to a friend earlier about this who's heading down to Wildwood. And how do you reasonably de-densify a beach where there's only these small choke points where you get your beach badge or whatever, how do you really, you know, monitor and enforce social distancing? How do you uh, reasonably do it? No, right? You don't. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, it, you know, so one of the things that we are talking about on the podcast today, uh, you're speaking to Vic Christopher, who some people know as sort of the alternative mayor of Troy. Yeah, you know, the carnival barker of the, of the Trojan people. And, uh, but, you know, the good carnival barker, right? And so I spoke oh. with Vic about, of course, you know, what has happened with his business. Now, as you know, you know, he just bought out his former business partner, Heather. So he just took this over in the last five months. And, you know, immediately from there, like, okay, you know, first three months, whatever. And then boom, here comes the the pandemic. And so it was good to hear. And he was able to talk about that adaptation to, of course, takeout and delivery and also the, you know, the contactless dining rooms that he has planned. Now, originally, he, years ago, he had planned to do, you know, Airbnb rooms upstairs and having this really this, uh, this space where people could, you know, they can eat, drink, and then sleep right there. But now he's kind of envisioning this Italy, if you will, Italy for the capital region um, yeah. set up there. Yeah. Well, he is in an unusual position. He's a very entrepreneurial guy. Uh, but we are seeing, and we've discussed this before, and I'm sure it's, we'll touch on it again, 
in the hospitality industry, the break-even point is a tricky thing. Now, there have been reports out of New York City that some restaurants say, until I can get to 70% capacity, it's not worth my while. Why reopen? There's just no financial way forward. So that's going to be challenging, and we'll have to see how people adapt. No, and that's that's the biggest question. I know one thing that's happening here in Albany and then also in Troy, they're talking about it, is extending out you know, the patio permits right now. And you right, know, usually you right. have to obviously account for right of way. But I know in Troy last year, or at least last year or two years ago, they had a project where they, you know, every restaurant or cafe that wanted one, they were able to allocate parking space in front of their, their cafe or their bar or their restaurant, where they were able to, you know, decorate it in whatever way. And of course, the city of Troy, you know, provided you know, those roadblocks to be able to, you know, cordon it off. So therefore, you know, as you're, as you're dining or having a drink, no car is going to hit you right there. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. they, they, so it was a big success because, you know, if you didn't want to be in the cramped dining room, even though as intimate and as, you know, fun and, and seductive as it can be, you know, you can be outside and instead of being like right there on the sidewalk, you can be in this more of a larger space. It's something you, you would see in Europe and Italy or in France. Mm. Well, we are going to have to sort of remain to be seen how things are going to develop in the capital region because the capital region was not one of the first five nope. regions to unpause. We discussed that a little bit with our second guest, Assemblyman John McDonald, who has been really doing a lot of work in keeping his constituents informed. He is one of those peripatetic folks that you used to see at every single event mm -hmm. along with Assemblywoman Pat Fahey and Congressman Paul Tonko. It's like they have clones that they're keeping of, of themselves. <laughs> they all end up, somehow they manage to get to every little everything. Like you'd be at a street fair and there they'd be. And then an hour later, you'd be at a picnic at somebody's backyard and there they'd be. It'd just be amazing how they get themselves out there. But we're not doing that right now, of course. So we did speak to him about the challenges of reopening, but he is a particularly interesting case because he is the lone healthcare professional in the legislature. That's right. And so he has a pharmacy, it's in Cohoes. If you know him, you know it's been in his family for a while. And he spoke about the challenge of running that business as well as being, you know, a state lawmaker and doing all of the attendant responsibilities that come along with that position. So he's a very interesting kind of a person to talk to at this moment. No, because again, he's hitting all three aspects, right? You know, as a legislator, as a small business owner, and as a healthcare professional. So you're getting all of that uh, when you spoke with Assemblyman McDonald about that. Yes, and we should get to it because this is a really interesting show and people don't want to hear from us, Joe, as scintillating as Sometimes, we are. Sometimes, because we didn't speak last week. So people, are, I'm, I'm sure, are curious about what you've been doing in your life. We did, we did not socially distance and, and work out at the same time again. No, I've been working and um, walking the dog and running a lot of miles. That's, That's good. I, yep. I've been, With, playing, I've been playing a lot of disc recently. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I'm not actually coordinated in that way. And that's, so I, a, that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get to it, friend. Maybe some other time we'll, disc, we'll talk about discs. All right. Assemblyman, it is really wonderful to have you here in the mix. Although, as I do with pretty much every guest these days, I must lament the fact that I cannot see you because I really enjoy seeing you in person. And, you know, back in the day, we both of us used to uh, get around to events in public quite a bit. Joe Bonilla, too, actually. We used to all go out and socialize, but now apparently we're just not doing that anymore. You know, it's funny, too, because, Liz, people say to me, well, you know, how's things different? 
And one of the things that is different is that I'm actually either still working at night or home at night. I'm not out with a lot of the events, which we actually enjoyed, not just because I got to see you and your husband and Joe, because uh, Joe's hairstyle is always changing. Mm-hmm. But it was more interesting because you really got to support some great groups. And that's, yeah. they're, they're struggling right now. They really are. Yeah, you know, I have to say I'm really appreciative of your emails. Uh, you, If you are not on Assemblyman McDonald's email chain, you really should get on there. How does one access your email distro? Because you've got a lot of good information. How does that, how are you compiling that? Yeah, kudos to my staff, first of all. We, we just do a lot of communication and test on my office makes it look, look readable. Um, but basically people just go on to our assembly website and just get on our e-news list or people send me emails and texts all the time. Either way, McDonald's yeah. at New York assembly.com. It's you really do. helpful. You've got a lot of really helpful information there. You. you know, you bring up the fact that uh, the assembly office is still operating. Um, just this week, actually, there was the first joint legislative public hearing on the COVID crisis. And I think it was the first significant legislative movement that we've seen since this crisis began. Is that correct? Yeah, it was actually, um, it was lengthy. It was quite interesting. Um, and actually, overall, it was pretty well well received, I think. A um, lot of opportunity for, you know, it was no different than, you know, for those people who watch it from the computer, it's no different. For those of us as members, it was actually, it was fine with me. You know, we got to still ask the questions. The interesting part is, as you know, with Zoom, they make you raise your hands, which, you know, at the hearings, we've never been good at that. So maybe there's mm. maybe there's there's some good that's coming out of this. So have you heard from people? I mean, we're seeing in Congress members, for better or worse, are in the halls of Congress and legislating now. They very much need to because they've got to pass these various stimulus packages, and the latest one is the Heroes Act, and and, and we'll get into that. But are people saying to you like, hey, Assemblyman, you know, you should be at the state capitol. Like, why are you not there? So when people are angry about something that's not going in their way, they want you in there. In there. That's fine. That's 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 like, you know, what's interesting to me is that we I don't think people have an appreciation for how much time we're spending working on unemployment claims. Mm. I mean, literally three, four hundred cases have been active in our office over the last three to four weeks. We are still carrying a couple hundred that we're working on day in and day out. And so therefore, you know, listen, I would rather be back doing our legislative business. You know, I've got this large issue with the Norlife facility, which really impacts not just Cohoes, but the capital region in regards to incineration of PFAS materials. Neil Breslin and I have a bill we yeah. want to go through. Yeah. I want this done sooner or later. Fortunately, the city of Cahoes actually extended a more, put a moratorium in place that gives us till May of next year. But I want to get it done. There's a lot of things we all want to get done. But on the other hand, you got to do it safely. And I think that's been part of the challenge. And here's the other thing that's, you know, they're back in the halls of Washington and thank God they are. And hopefully, you know, they'll be there to do all the people's work. But the same day, same reason, they're back for a particular reason. All right. That's to help address the issues, particularly that states and local governments are dealing with the family. Yeah. Um, to come back and start to do, and Liz, you know, you covered this for, you still cover this for a long period of time. The little, little bills that still require a lot of input from the administration, um, it's not reasonable in that aspect. I mean, in all fairness to the administration, and I don't agree 
100 percent of the time with what they've been doing the reality is they've got multiple fire hoses shooting at them from different directions and to try to get attention on little bits of legislation that normally do deserve attention and get attention it's it's not reasonable so i well that, fair enough yeah do you think though you're gonna have to come back i mean here's we're, we're doing this weird sort of delicate balance right now the governor is says that it's 60 to 61 billion i think it is that the state needs from the feds in order to that's the cost that we've seen as a result of the COVID crisis right and then he's hanging out there this possibility of some really significant cuts and he says which is not wrong but it's terrifying if you if you're not familiar that the bulk of the budget is on healthcare and education and so if he cuts 10 to 20 percent because the feds don't pony up the money and the senate republicans don't have any interest in giving New York, the full amount that the House Democrats have put on the table, which I don't believe is 61 billion, by the way, but nevertheless, it's quite a bit more than uh, New York received in the CARES Act, which was the last stimulus package. You know, it, then it comes out of the hide of education and healthcare, which is terrifying to people. So, so a couple things, a couple things. Yeah. 61 billion over a four or five year period. Right. That's, Clear, that's a gap. Good point. Um, the governor has actually been very supportive. So, He's looking for 13 billion this year, and so are we. Um, I think that gets that gets thrown into the mix, so that's a good thing. Um, yeah, you're right. Education cuts and healthcare cuts. I, I have to say, I did a little breathing of sigh of relief today because I kind of expected Marie Antoinette to step up and get the guillotine today, and that did not come out yet. And basically, what I've been told through ways and means, and it may have been said during the governor's press event today, is we're going to see how Washington reacts with the hope yeah. it's going to react by the end of May, early June. Yeah, so he did say that. It, yeah. it is a very giant game of chicken to a certain degree. I really would hate to think this is a blue state, red state thing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't about blues or reds. This is about cops and firefighters, teachers, sanitation workers, and the economy. And whether you like New York or not, and I tend to like it, the fact of the matter is New York State is probably large, one of the largest economic engines that the country benefits from. And it makes perfect sense, regardless of your political affiliation, to make sure our economy starts pumping again. And we need the resources. Well, so, okay, now May, June rolls around to May, beginning of June rolls around, and the legislature afforded the governor a very large amount of power, the budget mm -hmm. director particularly, he has the ability to make significant cuts and then you've got 10 days to respond. Now, the interesting part is they don't have the ability to propose new revenue streams, but you do as the legislature. Yep. So you could come back. Now, are you having preemptive conversations about that? I mean, things we've that- had, We've had multiple conferences over the last three to four weeks on a variety of different issues. Some with the body as a whole, some with just the upstate members, because you know their upstate issues are a little bit different than the downstate issues. Mm. Um, revenue options have come up. They've not been shy um, in regards to putting them forward. Um, for people like yourself, you could probably say them in your sleep because they've been the same ones that have been circulating for the last you know 10 to 15 years, except the Pieta Tear, which is relatively new. Well, tax but, the rich, legalize yeah, marijuana for, yep, for yep, adult yep, use. Yep. All those things, which sound great and Listen, our, our house is pretty clear that we, we have no problem taxing things. The challenge is those don't do a darn thing towards helping 
this budget that's underway. Those are Correct. items that right. will take forward right. going forward. And quite honestly, the theater chair, which I think actually has the best shot of moving forward, you have to have real estate transfers, and, and that's not happening anytime soon. Not not right. to the volume that you need it. Right. So, okay. I mean, I think that it is really uh, it, it, too many balls in the air to say anything definitive at this right. point. Yep. Much of it hinging on the feds. Have you spoken to, I mean, I heard him interviewed actually just this morning on WAMC, Congressman Tonko, I know, is pushing and, you know, the whole New York delegation, uh, Senator Schumer, who's, of course, the minority leader in the Senate. But at the end of the day, what the, what the House Democrats have put on the table, the White House has said, is a non-starter. It's a veto action bill. If it got through the Senate entire, in its entirety, which it won't, uh, then, you know, where are we? That, that doesn't put us anywhere. So, you know, it's funny, Liz. It's just like the Senate and the Assembly when they put out their one house, one house budget resolutions. It's aspirational best. It's mm -hmm. a statement of values, a statement of principles. And Paul, we had a conversation with Paul have a conversation with Paul a while, but we had a conversation a couple nights ago, and he said, you know, we realize this is not going to be the end result, but we feel it's important to state our principles and values, and the Democratic Party can be a little bit wide when it comes to its tent, so there's a lot of values being expressed. It's a starting point. Hmm. You know, at the end of the day, I firmly believe that Mitch McConnell um, and President Trump recognize the importance of helping all the states in this country. Um, yeah, you're right. Politically, they can probably knock New York for, off the list as any chance in the re-election. That's fine. At the end of the day, there are a lot of people. And, you know, to your point, that letter that went to the president this week supporting a lot of the issues is signed by Republicans and Democrats. Yes, all bipartisan. Yes. Well, well, because that's, that's important because, you know, Elise Stefanik has a relationship with the press. Yeah. She can talk oh, yeah. very clearly about the impact. Lee Zeldin, former colleague, has a relationship with the president. He can talk about the issues too. They've got pressure on them for their local elections. And quite honestly, that's going to play a role um, one way or the other. You are in this really interesting position. You are the only licensed working pharmacist in the legislature, I believe. Uh, try health professional if you want to go a little further. Really? Oh, that's right. There used to be a dentist, but there isn't one now. That's nope. Right, so, you know, that puts you at a really interesting position um, and talk a little bit about those challenges. I mean, pharmacies are, of course, um, you know, essential services, uh, but I know that they're encouraging people not to come inside. I think that, uh, are you doing curbside del or delivery? Well, we have curbside, but we also encourage people, people are fine to come into pharmacy. We have our social distancing measures. We've got our sanitizer. We've got our protective plastic shields. We had those up within days after we started to figure out what was going on. Um, and we realized we're gonna be in it for the long haul. So, you know, it's been a balancing act of protecting my staff, which knock on wood, we've done pretty well. And also protecting our employees. And actually it's been helpful to me as I talk to what seems like hundreds of small business owners, whether they're in the district or not, about what they need to do to prepare to open because a lot of the principles that we have adopted, anywhere from contact-free transactions, we really have moved forward in that. We do a lot more deliveries, a ton of deliveries, but also, you know, what those little things you need to have in place, yeah, to meet the requirements that the governor is talking about, 
but just as importantly as a business owner, your customer is going to judge you by how you look when they come in. Right. We are going to be as a, you know, unless you're ignorant, which there's a few people out there. Most people are going to be a lot more cautious about things. And, and finally, you know, society is going to wash their hands and sing happy birthday while they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also uh, been interesting, Liz, I, I just have to mention this, you know, this whole metrics issue going on with when you're going to reopen and stuff. Right. I, you know, I know what hurts that is. I know what's on it. I know what's not on it. And what's not on it is the patient address, <laughs> which by the way, plays a very large role in where these patients come from. And when you look at the capital region and Pat Bay and, and Kathy Sheehan and, and Carrie Warner and Steve McLaughlin and Dan McCoy, and I've been talking about this a lot the last three, four days. We finally are getting the commissioners together to say, wait a minute, where are these patients coming from? Mm. If they're coming from Vermont. You know, Albany County serves 23 counties in three states. If they're coming from outside of our region, eh, get them out of the data. And they're doing the heavy lifting, the heavy work at the county level to do that because we really feel the capital region is a much closer, if not should be open, on the two metrics that are outstanding, which, by the way, both rely on herds data, which we think is factual. Now, I mention that because I, I deal with this stuff. So I was able to dig into it a little bit more and say, okay, guys, here's where we need to go with it. And they're going with it. Well, one other point, though, is that if I'm not mistaken, the county executive, Dan McCoy, also said you should take nursing homes out of it because oh, I think if yeah. I'm if I understand correctly, there are a, con a confined, for better or for worse, these days for worse, they're a confined community and they're not traveling outside the walls. And so therefore they're not infecting people who aren't, aren't coming in. They are not a threat to the community. By any stretch of imagination, both Dan and Steve have both been very consistent with that, that that should be pulled out both for hospitalizations and for deaths. And I fully agree with them. Can you speak to this issue regarding nursing homes and, and the, um, the yeah. Home administration's handling of that and whether there should be an independent investigation? So, as you know, there is a request from the minority in the assembly to have a hearing on this. It was sent to both Dick Gottfried, Harry Bronson, and myself. I'm chair of investigations. Um, we are reviewing that with the speaker. Um, quite honestly, I think there's going to be a lot of lessons learned from COVID-19, not only oh, yeah. in the next couple of months, but for the next couple of decades. The reality is this, and you know, I saw this happening early on when COVID positive patients were turning up in the ARCs of this world, developmentally disabled. The state had no choice at the time, five, six weeks ago, because they were worried about the need for hospital beds and ventilators to require those who tested positive in nursing homes and, and, and congregate living, we'll call it that, to be discharged back to where they came from. And I remember Dr. Zucker saying very clearly when I talked to him, this is their home. This is where they're going to be comfortable. And it's true for patients with Alzheimer's, they actually do convalesce much better. Right. Where we made our, we, we could have done better. I won't say made a mistake because that's, that's, that's not right. Where we could have done better, and if we had to do it all over again, which I hope we never do, we should have just created regional step-down facilities between the hospital and the congregate living site, a place where somebody is still positive could go, be with other COVID-positive patients until they test negative, and then discharge them back. I think that would have played a role in minimizing the impact in nursing homes. The I other they tried to do it in New York City, and people died in the hotels where they convalesced. I mean, I don't know that there was any perfect. No, there, this, this is not. You know, I, I can't. I mean, some. You know, listen. If you're a Cuomo hater, you're just going to pound on. 
I'm not a Cuomo hater or a liker. I'm just looking at this from a public policy perspective. I think the administration in their heart did the best they could do at the time with the data they knew. I think if we had to do it all over again, maybe three, four weeks ago, we would have taken a more aggressive stance on discharge of COVID negative back to the nursing home. I think that would have helped, mm. but I don't know if it would have helped as much. So we're going to run out of time, but as a healthcare professional, your estimate on when there's a vaccine? Um, looking later in the year, early next year. I guess the president announced today that everyone's going to have one in the fall, which I'd like to see that. I'd like to also see where the executive is going to make some changes because right now as it exists, pharmacies, which are turning out to be a large provider of flu vaccines and other vaccines. But you're not, not testing, right? You're not testing. We're not testing yet only because there's a problem with testing supplies, which is right. another discussion. Right. Discussion. But we can't administer a COVID-19 vaccine if it came out. So this is an example where the governor's executive orders are going to be critical. I know there's, we could have a three hour discussion about, you know, do we- Oh, well, you're coming money? back, Assemblyman. We're talking to you again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, I thank you very much. I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing to keep people informed. And I know that it is challenging. Uh, everybody is trying to manage their own personal lives and stress and mental health and challenges. And so I thank you, Assemblyman, for everything that you've done. Liz, thank you and be well. You too. Are you looking to reach a diverse audience? Advertise with CivMix today. Visit CivMix.com to learn more. Are you ready to rise and shine? Read up on the latest news and happenings taking place in your community each weekday morning on CivMix.com. Sign up to receive Rise and Shine in your inbox. CivMix, it's where it's at. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on CivMix.com. Vic Christopher is the president of the Clark House Hospitality Company. Vic, how are you? I'm the president of the Clark House Hospitality Company. It's amazing. I, I became the president, and then and then my my former president slash business partner and uh, ex wife walks out the door, and then the world collapses, the, and 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 the and the streets are burning as she's driving out of Troy, New York, on a U-Haul, and then they turn around and say. Hey, you're, you're the president. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, the last six months have been uh, quite the change, at least for you. You know what, though? I'm a crisis guy, and my, I, I, uh, I'm better in a crisis than I am when things are normal so, um, because I'm not a normal person. No, you're you know not. what I mean? I'm but that, not, but that, that's I'm not what a makes you great guy. I'm, just, I'm not good at it. I ran the company for a couple of weeks after Heather left, and I, I honestly felt really awkward, and I didn't really feel comfortable until uh, this coronavirus thing started. So let's talk about that. So, of course, because you have the different businesses right in downtown Troy, and then, you know, about two months ago, here comes the shutdown. And, you know, your, your businesses thrive on those social relationships and that, that quality right there. So let's talk about, of course, you know, what that – shift was of course for the businesses but then what are you doing now to move forward as we begin to unpause well the shift was that in the restaurant business you need a busy place in order to be sustainable um and when it became when that became illegal well you just have to start thinking creatively and 
utilize all the tools in the toolbox in any way that you can in order in order to survive and uh, right off the bat right when the when this when i realized that this was a serious thing was when the nba canceled the season yep and i said to myself this is a this is a, a multi-billion dollar decision that has just been made right here you better believe this is going to impact the, everyone in the united states of america at this point and very quickly we looked at our company and uh, luckily, the company has a lot of diverse offerings within it. We have a couple of bars and, and restaurants. And we've got a great little all-day cafe called Little Pex, which is a counter-service um, type of business. And, uh, and it's really been, been doing better and better year after year. And, and, we have, and we really had the strongest leadership in that department. And um, it just became obvious that that was what we should focus our energy towards. And then we also have a retail wine shop up the block. And, uh, and when that business retail liquor and wine was deemed essential, we said, okay, you know what, out of, out of all these different businesses that we have, it makes sense to run with these two in particular, Little Pecks and the 22 2nd Street Wine Company, which is a natural wine shop, capital region's only, only natural wine shop. And that was it. And we pretty much uh, put the brakes on everything else and focused on those two things. And along the way, uh, we got a phone call from a good customer of ours whose client was NISO, the New York Independent System Operator, and they're responsible for keeping the power on in New York State. Uh, they work with National Grid to ensure that the electrical grid is safe from hackers and uh, that everything is up and running continuously. So they had 40 people in healthy quarantine. Hmm. And so very quickly, we assembled uh, a healthy quarantine team culinary team of our own who who monitors and they still do the the, the client this is still an ongoing contract uh, we started march uh, we started late march at catering for them uh, seven times a week and you know we, the, uh, the temperatures are being monitored on a, on a regular basis and uh, and that catering contract really provided um, a good base uh, for for us economically as we entered into this thing so we're in pretty good shape uh, considering so, you know, that's of course for Little Pecs, but like on the flip side, you know, you have the Bradley, right? And the and so with the SLA changes for to go beverages and cocktails, what what have you done over there? Nothing, and no, and we we will do absolutely nothing with that business for a long time. Okay. Because the price points are so low that in order for the staff to make a decent make a decent living, the bar needs to be very busy. So. So the option there would be increase prices and have less occupancy or, you know, or just don't do the thing at all. And, and that's what we're electing to do. Uh, you know, the, the Bradley is a bar. I think, I think like for small bars right now, they're going to have to kick back and just chill out a little bit. That's not that that industry is not, uh, is not going to come back for a while. So let's talk about the improvements you're making to at least the Clark house building. Cause you're, you're doing these contactless dining rooms upstairs, right? And this is something that you had looked at doing possibly Airbnb in and other projects. I mean, talk to us about, you know, what that's looking like right now. Well, the building is a 13,000 square foot building. We were only using about 40% of the building. And so we've had uh, plans uh, drawn up uh, that, that uh, many different plans throughout the years were drawn up for the upper floors of the building. And Little Pex was going so well as a counter service sort of operation that we were thinking, wow, if we open up more of the building and give people more places to spread out 
and then opened up more counter service type opportunities for people within the facility, we could create almost like an indoor food hall. That was, that's, that's one way we're looking at it. And we're also talking about expanding to family dining out where parties of, you know, five, six, seven people who have been in quarantine with one another that they can come out and have their own dining room in what is a very cool, uh, very Troy backdrop in a, in a vacant, dilapidated building type of setup. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to be creative and use our assets and, uh, and basically anything in our, in our artillery that we can right now, uh, we're trying to think of in a, very, in a very different way moving forward. I mean, you're nothing but uh, adaptable and, and innovative uh, and since, since the years I've known you. And, you know, one of the things, of course, was, you know, util, you know utilizing uh, former service staff as construction workers right now for this project. Yes, and a lot of the service people that work within the company actually built, uh, helped to build a lot of the businesses in the company. So Steve Reisman, who's a, a bartender at the confectionery, uh, he and I, along with Corey Nelson of the Troy Kitchen, we built the wine shop together, the three of us. You know, so we've got a lot of people who, who have hands-on construction experience that have been working for the company all along. We basically split the, split the company into two divisions, hospitality and projects. And so we've got uh, a nice lineup of contractor types uh, that are working on the growth and the expansion plans. And, and, um, and then we have a hospitality division of the company that is working on servicing the catering, uh, running Little Peck. And we also opened up or we reopened a grocery store within the space as well, which is going, which is going really, really good. You know, and it's interesting about the grocery because, you know, I've been going to Little Peck's picking up the breakfast burrito and I've seen the evolution of the grocery and I saw it was, it was shifting. It, it shifted since the last time I've been there even within like a couple, last couple of weeks where uh, it was more on that other side right there. And now it's, you know, it seems to be just more on the storefront side. We're expanding. And then eventually when we get the upper floors approved that my, my thought is that this whole grocery uh, expansion almost flows like if you've ever been to Italy. Gotcha, Italy is yep. a great experience. You know, you can go to Italy and, and walk out of there with uh, all the groceries you need for the week. Plus, you can have a meal while you're there and you could take a pizza and a chicken colored Parmesan to go and maybe have a glass of wine while you're there. So if we can bring a shopping experience like that to downtown Troy, where people can do all those things in one place, man, we've we've actually improved the operation overall, even in the middle of a pandemic, if right. we can achieve that. So that's, you know, that's something that, that that's very exciting for, for us. And for the people, frankly, that don't want to go to the big box stores right now, and I'm one of them. I showed up at Walmart the other day, and it looked like it was Super Bowl Sunday. There were 10,000 cars in the parking lot. It's you crazy. Know? It's intimidating. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But if we can create social distancing uh, experiences here and, and, and a, a shopping experience where uh, it's a smaller place and we have less, less customers in there at any given time, well, that's great that we can do that for our neighborhood and our community. What are you hearing from other business owners in downtown Troy? Because, of course, you know, there's some that, you know, they might be able to be, able to re, be open earlier because of whether in phase one for curbside retail, you know, for those small shops. Of course, on your end, you're looking at phase four. I mean, what are you hearing? Are you hearing, of course, you know, optimism? Are you hearing basically, you know, it's, it's time to kind of just, you know, close up shop? I mean, it, I, I assume yeah. it, I, I kind of it goes along the spectrum all entirely. It's a mix of both things. As, as uh, if people watching the news 
two days ago heard that the longtime Ilium Cafe of Monument Square is closing their doors for good. Um, but we just got off a conference call that was hosted by the Business Improvement District, uh, where the whole thing was very optimistic. And everybody's talking about expanding outdoor dining and closing down some of the streets to traffic uh, for the purpose of, of creating additional dining area outside for the entire summer. And so people are, people definitely are optimistic and look, you know, Troy's got a reputation. Uh, it, it's, it, these people here are resilient and you can, you can just see that in the businesses that have been hanging in there. And, and the thing that I like is it seems like most people are trying and they're trying to hang in there with takeout and, and delivery. And we are in communication with one another. And we have been, I, I really actually cultivated some very deep friendships over the past few months with, with um, some people that I, I, I really wasn't that close to previously who are in business going through the same thing. And, you know, these type of tragedies bring people together in times like this. No, for sure. Because I mean, even on my side, I mean, there's been clients or you know, former clients and we just, and we just talk about, you know, how we're all going through this at the same time. And of course, making those changes and, you know, looking optimistically at, you know, what the next uh, chapter will look like here. Um, you know, at the end, at, at the end of the day, you know, this whole, the pandemic in terms of the way it is right now will eventually subside. And something I ask of, you know, different guests I have on here is, you know, what are you looking forward to when this thing's over? Because of course, you know, obviously you'll be able to have people back into, into the businesses, but is there something that you're personally looking back to like, you know, doing again? Of course, you know, I know for you, you know, it would be seeing, you know, your family as well down in Brooklyn. Yeah, I haven't really. I mean, I, I've, ever since this this happened, I've just been working every day. I haven't really thought about what this looks like after that. I'm very focused uh, on what's happening on a, on a day to day basis, and incrementally getting closer to reopening has been the only focus that I've had. So I hadn't I hadn't even really entertained any of that in my mind. Brooklyn feels like uh, light years away to me. Um, I'm going to be in this building here working on this project for as long as it takes, and that's all I'm focused on right now. Vic Christopher from the Clark House Hospitality Company. Vic, thanks again for being on the mix. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Enjoy Troy, everybody. Thank you. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com.